Please turn in your Bibles to the book of Isaiah, chapter 28. And if you want to follow along in your pew Bible, you can find this on page 1099 of your pew Bible, Isaiah 28. Let me begin with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray that you'll give us insight and oversight in our understanding of Isaiah and how this ancient prophet not only prophesied about the Lord Jesus Christ, but how the words that he wrote so long ago even directly apply to us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Again, you can find us on page uh, 1099 of your pew Bible. Well, what I've been doing recently is, is giving you a summary of the book of Isaiah, an overview of Isaiah. Isaiah is broken down into seven different sections. And last week I preached on section number two. This week I want to preach on the, the third section. And what I, what I intend to do is read six brief passages of Scripture to you. And you'll notice a similarity on how each one of these verses begin with the same word. And I'll explain why that's important later in the sermon. Also, just to let you know, verse chapter 28 all the way to chapter 35. If you want to put your hand in chapter 35 and just hold, hold a spot there. I'm going to read chapter 35 to you during the sermon later because it's just too beautiful. We'll wait till later. But we're going to read the, you can call it the bad parts first, then we'll get to the good parts later. You'll notice why these are the bad parts. In chapter 28, let me read to you verse 1, but also verse 7 and 8. This is a curse against the leaders of, of Ephraim, which is the northern kingdom of Israel. He says in chapter 28, verse 1, Woe to the, the uh, crown of pride, to the drunkards of Ephraim, whose glorious beauty is a fading flower, which is at the head of the verdant valleys, to those who are overcome with wine. The priest and the prophet have erred through intoxicating drink. They are swallowed up by wine. They are out of the way through intoxicating drink. They err in vision. They stumble in judgment. For all tables are full of vomit and filth. No place is clean. By the way, that's verse 1, 7, and 8. This is a summary of this chapter. Then turn to chapter 29, verse 1. This is a curse upon the city. And here it's named Ariel, which means Lion of God. It's a reference to Jerusalem. Chapter 29, verse 1. Woe to Ariel, to Ariel, the city where David dwelt. I will encamp against you all around. I will siege against you with a mound. I will raise siege works against you. You shall be brought down. You shall speak out of the ground. Your speech shall be brought low out of the dust. I'll stop there. Now turn to chapter 29, verse 15. This is a curse against hypocrites, where he says, Woe, 29:15. Woe to those who seek deep to hide their counsel from the Lord, and their works are in the dark. They say, Who sees us? And who knows us? In verse 16, he says, Surely... You have things turned around. Shall the potter be esteemed as the clay? For shall the thing say of him who made it, He did not make me like this? Or shall the thing 
formed, say to him who formed it, he has no understanding. Now, let me read to you the fourth and fifth curse. And this is a curse against false alliances in in chapter 30. Chapter 30, verse 1, and chapter 31, verse 1. He says, Woe to the rebellious children, says the Lord, who take counsel, but not of me, and who devise plans, but not by my spirit. They shall add sin to sin, who who go down to Egypt, and who have not asked my advice to strengthen themselves in the strength of Pharaoh, and who trust in the shadow of Egypt. I'll stop there. Now in chapter 31, verse 1, there's another rebuke against Egypt and those who trust in Egypt. He says, Woe to those who go down to Egypt for help and rely on horses, who trust in chariots because there are many, and in horsemen because they are very strong, but who do not look to the Holy One of Israel nor seek the Lord. Now lastly, and very briefly, chapter 33, verse 1 says, Woe to you who plunder, though you have not been plundered, and you who deal treacherously, though they have not dealt treacherously against you. When you cease plundering, you will be plundered. When you make an end of dealing treacherously, they will deal treacherously with you. I'll pause right there. Well, like I said last week, I focused on the second section of Isaiah. And in that second section, God is pointing out the, a lot of the, the main theme is the nations around Jerusalem and God's going to bring them down from their high position like stars in the sky and bring them down to the ground. Now we're going to look at the third section of Isaiah. And I'm going to use one word to help summarize this section of Isaiah. And it's the word land. And we're going to see that land is going to be helpful in summarizing this passage because of the book of Genesis and also because of Jesus. Let me explain this. On the third day of creation, God made the land come up above the waters. And the land was producing first fruits of grass, grain, and fruit. And God looked at the land and said, that's good. That's what he did on day three. Well, in this third section of Isaiah... We're not going to be primarily focusing on the nations around Israel. We're going to be focusing on the promised land primarily. The land of the northern kingdom. The land of the southern kingdom. And so that's why there's a correlation between this third section and the third day. And just to uh, uh, defend this point a little bit, listen to a few of these verses. I'm just going to give you a few of these from the third section. This is chapter 28, verse 4. It says that Ephraim is like a fading flower. Okay, that it's, it's like the, the, the first fruits of the land are fading on the land and God's looking at this and pronouncing a curse and a woe against the priest and the flower of, of Ephraim. Also, you remember that the priests are drunk with what? Wine. Well, what do you make? Uh, how do you make wine? You, make, you use the grapes the fruit of the land, and you make wine, and you need to drink that rightly. But here, they're drinking it wrongly. They're getting drunk on all this. They're abusing all the first fruits of the land. That's what the priests are doing in Isaiah's day. And then, later in chapter 29, verse uh, 17, God's going to speak against the land of Lebanon and the fruitful 
uh, forest there. He's judging the land. Uh, Later in chapter 32, verse 13, he says, The land of my people will become like thorns and briars. So anyway, the summary point is this. You can see various imageries of land in this third section. And then when I read to you later, chapter 35, the good part, the good news, it talks about land and the land bearing good things after the curses. Now that's that's the Genesis theme of land as you angle into this passage of Scripture. Let me use the Jesus angle upon this passage of Scripture. I would call it this, Jesus' land mission. His land mission. Why am I calling it that? Well, His land mission is this. He is in the promised land throughout His earthly ministry. And toward the end of His earthly ministry, He zeroes in to Jerusalem. He starts to angle in to Jerusalem and goes against the Pharisees. He goes against the hypocrites. He goes against those who are in charge. He starts pronouncing woes upon them. This is a beautiful picture and an imagery of exactly what Isaiah is doing in this passage. In fact, the word woe, spelled W-O-E, not wow, but woe, it has two different meanings in the Scripture, dependent upon the context. The word woe can express a type of sympathy or grief or pain, like woe to you for for being in such a hard condition and suffering. Sometimes it's used in that context. The second meaning of woe is an expression of denouncement. It is a curse against someone or something. It is directing God's curse against the wicked in a righteous way. Now, let me give you a brief summary of Jesus' ministry toward the end of His land ministry. In Matthew chapter 23, it's a long chapter, It's a long sermon by Jesus. And there's eight times in that chapter he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites. He is pronouncing, not a sympathetic woe, but a condemning woe, a curse upon the leaders of Jerusalem and the temple of his day. That's what he says over and over. And when you see Jesus' message... It's very similar to the six woes that I read to you today. In in these chapters in Isaiah, there were six woes pronounced in this third section of Isaiah. In Isaiah's message, let me list them for you. There's a judgment or a woe against the leaders in Jerusalem. Secondly, against the city of Jerusalem. Thirdly, against the hypocrites. Uh, Fifthly, You have woes pronounced, or thirdly, fourthly, you have a woe pronounced against false alliances. There's four, the fourth and fifth woe is against those who trust in Egypt. They want to go down in Egypt because they have the military muscle, they have horses, they have all this defense mechanism to, you know, to, to protect them against the Assyrians. And God says, those Egyptians, they're not going to save you. They don't have the might that I have. So the fourth and fifth woe is against false alliances or false allies. And then lastly, there's a woe against those who plunder and bring destruction upon the innocent. That's the sixth mention in Isaiah. Let me show you how this parallels of Jesus. 
Jesus pronounced woes against the scribes, the Pharisees, the Herodians, and the temple leaders in Matthew chapter 23. At the end of chapter 23, Jesus pronounces the judgment against the city of Jerusalem. He weeps over the city. In fact, later, after the, right before his crucifixion, there are women who are crying over Jesus. And he tells the women, do not weep for me. Weep for yourselves and your children because the city one day will be destroyed. He is doing exactly what Isaiah did in Isaiah's ministry. Isaiah also pronounced a woe against the hypocrites. The hypocrites are those who were in charge and they thought they were in the dark and nobody could see what they were doing. Not even God could see it. And Isaiah says, woe to you, you hypocrites, basically. Jesus understands that hypocrites are filled in the temple. They are doing everything against God's law. They think they're getting away with it. And Jesus goes in there and turns over the money tables and pronounces hypocrisy upon all of them and runs them out of the temple. And then also in Jesus's prosecution, whenever they lead him to the cross, there is clear evidence of their false alliance or their false allies. Because when the Jews want to crucify Jesus and they say, or Pilate says, here's your king. Do you remember what the Jewish leaders responded and said? We have no king but Caesar. There they swore allegiance to Caesar. They denounced Jesus Christ. They have a false alliance with Herod. At this time in history, Herod was a big moneymaker and the builder. He decorated the temple with gold and all these things, and the Jews loved it. Because here you have this, this king, Herod, during the time of Jesus, and he is contributing to, the, to all the gold in the temple. There's a false alliance between the Jews and Herod and the, Her- the Herodian dynasty. In the same way, you saw this with Isaiah. There's a false alliance with the Jewish people and Egypt. They want to go down to Egypt and align themselves with pagan support and not trust in God. Lastly, Jesus Christ uh, condemned those who plunder widows' houses. You remember the story of the widow who came in there and gave her last two pennies into the offering plate? That's not good because it's a sample of what the leaders are doing against her. She's a victim of them stealing from her. They're they're emptying her piggy bank and she has no more savings. They should have said, you keep your two pennies and we'll take care of you. Here's money for you. They should have given her money. And so Jesus says, right after that story of the widow's might, of her emptying her bank account, Jesus says this temple will be destroyed. That's what Jesus' ministry there in the latter part of his land ministry. He's in the promised land, functioning like Isaiah, pointing out all the sins. And so when you read this, you think, no wonder they crucified him. (laughs) He was like Isaiah. He was pointing out all the evil. He was was bringing God's curses against them because they well deserved it. So you see the comparison here between uh, the woe of Isaiah and the woe of Jesus' ministry that he pronounces. So this raises the question as you think about this and you apply it to our lives. Who are under God's woe? Who is under God's wrath? Who is suffering the judgment now that Isaiah spoke about, the judgment that Jesus spoke about? Where Jesus brings this up in John chapter 3, verse 35. 
He says the father loves the son and has given all things into his hand. He who believes in the son has everlasting life. He who does not believe in the son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides upon him. People who do not believe in the Lord Jesus Christ still have a woe pronounced upon them. This is what Jesus is describing in John chapter 3, verse 36. People who do not repent of their sins and acknowledge their sinfulness and don't trust in the Lord Jesus Christ, there's a continual woe or a wrath that is just hanging over them, waiting to consume them on the day of judgment. So you think about that. Isaiah's woe, Jesus' woe. It's just hovering over a person who does not have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, God does not delight in that. God would rather bless that person rather than curse that person. Whenever God sees faith, when God sees repentance, that's when it changes from a woe to a blessing. Or you can say this, a woe to a wow. And this is in Isaiah chapter 35. Isaiah chapter 35, this is how this woeful section ends. In Isaiah chapter 35, this is the end of the third section of Isaiah. You heard me pronounce the woes earlier. There are six of those. Well, here's how it ends, this third section. And just listen to this. The wilderness and the wasteland shall be glad for them, and the desert shall rejoice and blossom as the rose. It shall blossom abundantly and rejoice, even with joy and singing. The glory of Lebanon shall be given to it, the excellence of Carmel and, Sh- and Sharon. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the excellency of our God. Strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who are fearful hearted, be strong, do not fear. Behold, your God will come with vengeance, with the, with the recompense of God. He will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then the lame shall leap like a deer and the tongue of the dumb shall sing. For waters shall burst forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. The parched ground shall become a pool and the thirsty land springs of water. In the habitation of jackals, there shall, uh, where, where each lay, there shall be grass with reeds and rushes. A highway shall be there and a road, and it shall be called the highway of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it, but it shall be for others. Whoever walks the road, although a fool, he shall not go astray. No lion shall be there, nor any ravenous beast go up on it. It shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing, with everlasting joy on their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. Notice that this whole section of woe, woe, woe ends with the grace, the the anticipation, the grace and the blessing of God. You can think about how that applies with Jesus' ministry. At the latter part of his earthly life, it's woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. Woe to you, city of Jerusalem. Woe to everybody in the sense of who is rejecting him. They reject him. They crucify him. They kill him. And then what's the next message? Believe on him. You'll be saved. 
There was a woe in his earthly ministry. Now there's a blessing. There's forgiveness. The same man you killed on the cross, he'll forgive you. His blood will now save you. That's the message of the apostles. The apostles are preaching the offer of forgiveness, the offer of grace, salvation. So the land ministry that had a woeful judgment in the preaching of Christ turns to a grace ministry with the preaching of the apostles. Same pattern you see here in this third section of Isaiah. Condemnation, condemnation. Now the anticipation of grace. So you can see how this applies to Jesus in that way. What does it mean to you? Well, think about this. Think about this as a believer in Christ, as a Christian. Think about how God pronounces his woes, but also his blessings. In other words, God's, God does act according to curses and blessings. And use this as a guide in your life. In other words, as a Christian, as a believer in Christ, do not bless what God curses. And do not curse what God blesses. This applies to big things and to small things. For example, murder. God curses murder. He pronounces woe upon murderers. And so every Christian should rejoice in the fact that there was this judgment against abortion recently. This should help guide your political position on who you stand for and who you vote for. If, you have a, if there is a political party that is an abject um, rejection against God and his principles and stands for all the, basically approves of all the things that God curses, then why would you want to vote for such a platform? Use God's standards of his curses and his blessings as a, as a guideline to say, well, how do I want to align my vote in the civil realm? Also, think about how this applies in your relationships or your business. If you really think that you're going to uh, succeed by cheating people and stealing from them, you're going to be cursed by God. God curses the thieves. God blesses those who really seek to honor Him in the business and, and treat people rightly. Children, when you grow up and you want to have a blessed marriage, when you grow up and want to marry the right person, think about the type of relationship or marriage that God blesses. He blesses those who seek to marry those in the faith, marry a fellow believer and a member of the opposite sex. That's the type of marriage that God seeks to bless. So align your life according to the curses and blessings of God, meaning you want to you stand against the things that God curses. You want to stand for the things that God blesses because the curse has been re- removed from you. Whenever you come as a believer on Sunday mornings like this and you confess your sins and the pastor gives you that assurance of pardon and quotes the scripture, you need to know and believe that the whole curse of God, the whole woe of God is removed off of you. It's been placed upon Jesus Christ. Christ suffered the curse, the damnation of hell for you. That's why Paul says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's no woe against those who are in Christ Jesus. So it, this whole aspect brings you to saving faith, but also it guides your faith so that you will make wise decisions and align yourself 
with God's curses and with his blessings. To be against the things that God curses and for what he blesses. Let us pray. Almighty God, we give you thanks for your scripture. We give you thanks for Jesus Christ and his grace, his mercy, and his backbone for truth and justice. We pray, Lord, that you will bring righteousness to all the leaders in our land. The leaders on the, on the, the local, state, and federal level in the civil government. That, Lord, that you will bring down tyrants and evil, but also you'll raise up righteous ones, Lord. We also pray the same for your church in all denominations, that all elders, teachers, and pastors will be strengthened with your grace and mercy so the blessings of God will come to all denominations who hold the infallibility of your scripture. We also pray, Lord, for all parents and children as they grow up, that you will continue to strengthen them, Lord, with your, the righteousness of your word. Give them the backbone and wisdom to see where our culture has gone astray. And Lord, we pray you'll fortify them with moral fiber so they'll stand strong and seek your blessings and your covenant. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.